thinking about changing our name to Ornery Faith. What do you think? Oh, you'll see why in a minute. Last week we talked about David and Goliath, and yes, I know the monkey did a better job. Thanks, Becky. That was really good and fun. So uh, today we're talking about another story. I mean, that's the plan. We'll see what happens. Anything could happen. <laughs> Dramatic pause. Isn't that cool? Um. We're going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know you're like, well, it's Sunday school month. It really is. Is anything happening over there? Is it just jammed up? Does it have a bad attitude? Well, that's all right. It'll be okay. If I don't have my slides, then I can go as long as I want. That's how I roll with it. Hallelujah. I think I made it. All right, bigger than. So we are, we're talking about worldview, and today we're talking about a disciple's worldview in regard to government. Are you excited? Some of you really tried. You were like, yeah, just, yeah, government, woohoo, all right. And then you went to your favorite broadcasting network, right? So forth. All right. So uh, today, though, we're going to look at a, a little bit different, uh, take a little different angle, I guess you would say, on, on government. And so, and... Because a disciple, a disciple's worldview is one that's actually very free. You're free. And you don't need government to make you free. You don't need a constitution to make you free. The disciples didn't have one. Do you understand that? Christians are free by nature. And so we're going to look at this awesome story uh, today out of, um, out of the book of Daniel about chapter 3. And Daniel's not in this story, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. And the story starts with, I don't, I'm kind of blind up here, so I don't know what's going to happen, Hannah. I, just, I might have to, I don't know, just lay hands on this thing. It's, everything's just glitchy. Somehow we went all the way to the beginning, didn't we? <laughs> so if you guys are sorry, Steve, can you guys get back up here? Let's do this again. Wow. Have you got me where I need to be? We'll see, huh? Wow. Hannah, um, if you'd run my slides. Technology, man, we thought we had it fixed, and uh, Mac came today and broke it. I just, I don't like, geez, Mac. <laughs> Come on, Mac, why are you being such a jerk for, you know? <laughs> anyway, so uh, this way I can uh, stay on track a little better. So the nation of uh, Israel uh, is in captivity by the time we get to D Daniel. And we meet a king and that we're talking about today. He's about to learn some stuff about God from some of God's disciples, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, the king is Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe we could call him Chad. I was thinking about Chad, but I went to school with a Chad who was a jerk. Maybe that would fit. I don't know. Nebi? We could call him Nebi? No, nah, I, don't, I don't like it. I'm just kidding. Anyway, in Daniel chapter 2, you find that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and Daniel interprets the dream about the statue. And then we get into da Daniel chapter 3, and, and Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue. So we, we really think chapter 2 and 3 are connected. Nebuchadnezzar is about to learn some stuff from the nation of Israel, though. The cool thing about God is that when God takes his people through trial, he uses his people to educate those who have taken them, their punishers. 
He uses them as a way to spread his name. So he takes difficult circumstances as an opportunity to expand the gospel in, in all truth. And so that's what happened. Babylon would never have known about Jesus, known about the gospel or hope or, or God had it not been for this captivity. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn a lot. If you read the book of Daniel, you'd find out he's going to learn that God speaks in a lot of different ways. Nebuchadnezzar is going to find out that as powerful he is, and at one time he was the most powerful man on earth, that he was really just a beast that God totally controlled. And God taught him that in a very literal way. And today in our story, Nebuchadnezzar is going to get a real education on what God can do versus what kings can do, even seemingly all-powerful kings. And so our story starts, uh, we jump in the kids' church style, you know. Nebuchadnezzar built this 90-foot-tall idol. He made it himself. The Bible even says that in Daniel. It says he made a 90-foot-tall idol that he wanted everybody to worship. Now, I just want to say, if you've got to make something to worship, you might want to rethink some things, right? So he makes this 90-foot-tall idol and then brings out ACDC to play. It's there in the, it's in the text, Aramaic, I mean the Hebrew, it's there. Not really, I'm just going to try to get you to read your Bible. But they play Thunderstruck, and then you're sitting there going, how did he know that? He's too spiritual to know that. There's some things about me you don't know. Yet, but they'll make it into a sermon sooner or later. And so, they light off the band, and what everybody's supposed to do is take a knee, bow, and worship this 90-foot-tall God that Nebuchadnezzar made, which is probably just a representation of himself, which is what all idols are. They're just representations of ourselves. So there are some guys, though, who don't do it, and they get caught, and everybody's, they start tattling because that's what people do. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't do it. They're going to get in trouble. We're telling, yada, yada, yada. So they go and get them and confront them, and we're jumping into the story at, the last, at their last chance. Nebuchadnezzar's like, bow or else. You are the barbecue. Not going to the barbecue, you are the barbecue. All right? Bow or else. And this is their reply. In verse 16 of Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Is that cool or what? I just, I just love it. They just stand there and there's like, you know what, God is able. But it doesn't matter if he does anything or not. We're not doing what you want. Oh, that's, that is freedom. That is what sets a disciple free. Not circumstances. If you are waiting on your circumstances to set you free, you will never be free. You will never have enough money. Your spouse will never turn around. Your kids will never straighten up. The job will never improve. If you are waiting on a circumstance to be free, you will never know freedom. You will always be a slave to circumstance. A disciple knows this. A disciple of Jesus Christ knows this. It's a worldview changer. Because a disciple comes to God as their king. They're not under presidents or rulers or tyrants. They're under the Most High God. And that's what these three guys realized and taught us. And so the problem with a disciple and the reason that the true church has always been persecuted 
is because you cannot, trust, you cannot control a free person. If I don't owe you anything, I don't worship you, I don't need you, you have no control over me. Governments don't really like that. They really like control, all right? So a true disciple can't be controlled. And so that kind of freedom is what we want to walk out of here with today. And, and I'll be straight with you. I mean, I'll, I usually try and be fairly honest in the sermons. Last, two week, last Sunday, this Sunday, these are fight sermons, okay? Christians are not here to just sit around and be nice. Nice is over. It's time for good men and women and children to rise up and be good in a world that is not good. Say amen. amen. Even if you only halfway believe it, just say amen, all right? So what happened? So Nebuchadnezzar freaked. He just freaked out. And he said, okay, you're the barbecue. And he had them like really stoke the fire. So, so hot that the people who threw them in died. And then the story gets interesting. The story should have started taming down, getting less dramatic, but that's not what happened. Verse 24. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty. We certainly did, they replied. By the way, these are the, the epitome of yes men right here, okay? <laughs> Verse 25. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. I'm going to ask you a question. This, is, this isn't a pass-fail. Who do you think that was? Just say the name out loud. Who do you think that was? Jesus. Jesus. Man, you guys got a good teacher at this church. <laughs> Verse 26. A few of them. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Is that cool? Hey, don't our kids need to hear this kind of stories? There's another narrative our children need to know that's more powerful, more interesting, way more cool, and rated R in a lot of places. I should throw that out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are certain texts in the Bible we preachers never get to. And so, anyway, so as we think about our worldview, we want to think of this story, and here's what I'd like us to walk away with today. First, I'd like us to think about what can be known, our, our glasses, which I forgot to get out of the case, which I might in a minute because I might need to look at something. But anyway, in this we need to know, what we need to know is that God is actually in charge. He's above earthly kings, earthly governments, earthly laws, and any government that exists gets its authority from God, whether they use it wisely or corruptly. God doesn't come in and just make people do things. He, he may work in their lives. He takes their decisions. But just like you and me, God lets us make choices. And we do a great job with those, right? Who's God here? Well, this, in this story, we see that God is king of all kings. He's over every earthly majesty. In the story, we ask, who am I in the story? I'm a citizen of a kingdom. I'm a citizen of a kingdom. Which one? The one here on earth ruled by, I want to say morons, but I probably shouldn't, right? <laughs> the ones here on earth or the ones in heaven? Uh, and what is good? What is good is a life that's lived in accordance with the laws of the new kingdom. A life lived in accordance with the laws of the new kingdom. What's wrong? The kingdoms of earth don't honor that code. They corrupt what God has given them. They twist the authority God has given them. What's next? God's going to fix it. 
Jesus Christ came to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He came to rule over all earthly majesties. One day he comes and settles it all. Every earthly king will look up and realize that Jesus Christ is actually ruler over all these things. So there's a big change coming. So our worldview statement for today is simply, God is our king, God is king, and I can be a citizen or I can stay an outsider. Okay? And I'll, we'll get into that some later on. So let's just jump into the, some of the ideas that drive this. First of all, we need to understand that God established government. God established it. God established government. It wasn't man's idea. Family wasn't man's idea. Church wasn't man's idea. God established all of those entities in our life. What is government's job? To tax you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's almost April. <laughs> <laughs> and I just did my taxes, and I'm a little mad about it. But anyway, God, government's job is to give us protection, justice, and make a place and space for righteousness. Government's job is to, to create a space for people to work together, to do good, to do the right thing. And government that does that, protects its people, and sets people free, is a beautiful thing. Corrupt government, not so much. Luckily, we have a Bible filled with stories and incidences where people lived in corrupt governments and showed us how to live in those systems. So that's awesome. The Bible is like the most practical book on the planet. I know you, if you're just starting reading it, you're going like, I am so confused. Just relax. Stick with it. Okay? You just don't know how to read the language yet. You'll get it sooner or later. All right? Ask God to show you, and he will. You know, and we also should work in government. Now, we Christians don't like to hear this. We really would like to just like mind our own business. Isn't that what we want to do? Just mind my own business. Let them do, let the politicians do what they do. I remember many years ago, back in the 90s, I can't remember which election it was, but it was like every one of them hotly contested. And I said, you know, it doesn't matter who you vote for, you're still voting for a politician. And everyone said, amen, it was rousing. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I do know a few politicians that, I like, and so, but don't tell them that. I'd like to keep them off balance. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So the Bible's filled with stories. You know, Joseph worked in a governmental system, and it wasn't a Christian one either. You know, there's several, Nehemiah, several guys throughout the Bible. But there's also times in the Bible where we see submission to government and conf confrontation of government at the same time, which is exactly what we're seeing in this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are standing up for their faith, and yet they are submitted to their government. You're saying, well, well, how are they doing that? Well, guys, the truth is you really don't have a lot of choices about government submission, right? I mean, they either you know, break you or make you fit the mold or what have you. Until you're truly free, you really don't have a lot of options. But the book of Esther is a great story of people who were submitted and in government, and yet they were confronting government with truth. Uh, a lot of stories in Daniel. How about John the Baptist? Yeah, he stood up to King Herod and told him, hey, man, he told him where the mop flops. That, that's a Tennessee expression. Um, just told him the truth about his marriage situation that was not so great. And so there are just all kinds of stories where God's people stood up for truth, stood up for the innocent, but at the same time they were in submission to a government. Some of those people spent time in jail. Some of them lost property. Some of them were taxed fine. Some of them even died and were punished. I mean, Daniel went to the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into a fiery furnace. Paul spent most of his ministry in jail. John the Baptist got beheaded. The Christians of the first century spent a lot of time in 
in the Colosseum. Well, actually, not long at all, just till the lions showed up, and then they were done. If you're like me, and you probably shouldn't be, government terrifies you a little. I, I got, you know, it's just an, an open admission. I, I've got this saying, uh, I, I used to say at McDonald's all the time as I was trying to advance people and raise up supervisors, a little power in the hands of a little person is a terrible thing. And I live in a world right now where there are a lot of little people with a little power and a whole lot of laws that they can enforce ar arbitrarily that is a perfect setup for tyranny. But I have no control over the tyrants. I do have control over my yard. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in their yard going, hey, king, I just want you to know my God's bigger than you, and if he wants to deliver me, I'll be delivered. But if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm not changing God's today, okay? And so that's, that's where we need to be also in our heart, that kind of freedom in our lives. And we need to really remember that in this, in this place in history because we have to trust God, not government, not people, okay? Uh, we, we submit to government because God gave it the authority. God put it out there. The Bible says in Romans 13.1, Romans 13.1, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. You know who wrote that? A guy named Paul. Do you know where he spent most of his ministry? Jail. The guy who wrote, submit to governments, spent a lot of time suffering at the hand of governments. Why? Because he was not going to stop sharing the gospel. It didn't matter if it was illegal. It didn't matter if it cost everybody in the town money. It didn't matter if it upset the religious leaders or the governors. Paul preached the gospel, taught people about Jesus Christ, taught them their identity, their hope, those kinds of things. He broke the law, stood up to government with truth, and yet at the same time reached out to government. I'll come to that in just a minute. But we see that a lot in the Bible. We often see people that are, that are standing up to government, and then we see that in the New Testament, those apostles and disciples are actually reaching out to government. Now that's awesome. Because that's something I think we, we're kind of afraid of nowadays. We, you know, if someone's a politician, they have too much power and they freak us out. But Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin. And they tell them who Jesus is and tell them that they will obey Jesus. They stand up and give truth to that council. God took Philip and supernaturally transported him to, a, to an Ethiopian eunuch. That was a, a, a high government official that God evangelized through Philip to send back. And we know later that a, a huge revival started in Ethiopia through that one contact. See, God reaching out to these gatekeepers in government. Paul one time was confronting a governor in Cyprus. And there was a Jewish sorcerer that was his right-hand man, his wormwood, if you like the Lord of the Rings kind of series, and who Paul ended up blinding, which that was a pretty cool story. But anyway... God is actually, I mean, God used Paul to go and share the gospel with the leader, the person who was responsible over the government of Cyprus. And even though Paul had his, his legal troubles, what did he do with them? He preached the gospel to Agrippa, to Felix, to Festus, even, we believe, all the way to Caesar. He used his legal troubles as a pulpit for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why I say these are fight sermons, guys. It does not matter what government throws at us. We're free. Amen. Okay. If you're, are you free? Yes. Mm. Are you free? Yes. Okay. We're almost there. 
Government is something God instituted, but government will never be the Savior. You understand this? The guy you voted for to get in isn't going to save us. The guy who saved us, nobody voted for. Nobody voted for him. And so, when you see a Savior, you're probably looking at an Antichrist. I said, an Antichrist. I'm not labeling anybody currently in office. I'm just saying, when you see a Savior, watch out. You say, but Michael, listen dudes, Jesus said through Paul, it's a lot of Antichrists are going to come. Government isn't going to save you. No government leader is going to save you. So, say, well, that sounds a little harsh for our environment. Ah, Stop watching the news, start reading your Bible. All right, so what do we learn from a lot of these these Bible stories, though? We learn they got involved. They got involved. Now, Joseph saved the nation of Israel from a government position. Moses went and confronted the leaders of Egypt with his training, his skill set that God gave him to go and set up for the nation of Israel's escape. Um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the whole book of Daniel is these men, these people living in a corrupt government system and being faithful to God in that system. Very powerful. Nehemiah, same scenario. Got some great things done for God from inside of a government system. What am I trying to say? Clearly, God's word is not telling us to avoid government. I wish it did. I really do. But it is loaded with things that, places that God's people are engaged in that. And we need to do like the New Testament disciples did. We need to engage the gatekeepers. We need to engage the gatekeepers. What does that mean? Well, there are people uh, that are in our community. I mean, it's so easy to worry about Washington, D.C. You know, we, and, and it was nothing, you say, well, it stresses me out. Well, it's not much I can do about it. I can do a lot about Rock Springs, though. Can't you? Or Green River? Or Sweetwater County? And, and, and even in Wyoming, I mean, there's some things that we can do. So what can we be doing? Well, we probably should dust off our prayer uh, practices. Really start praying for our mayor, our city council, our county commissioners, the people that lead important businesses in our community. These are all, they, they may not all be in government, but all of those contribute to the government systems. People who lead the academic systems, the universities. These are people we need to be lifting up in prayer. Why? Well, Paul said so. Here's Paul who spends most of his life in jail, his ministry in jail. And he says to Timothy, I urge you, first of all, pray for all people, ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that you can live a peaceful and, you can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So I just want us to shift our mindsets. We have an active, practical role as Christians in our community. Being a Christian is not somehow different from everything else. Being a Christian is part of who you are. And we need people who love Jesus and listen to what Jesus tells them in government and in business and in academics and in our banking systems, okay? This is what Christianity is. I, I know, man, everybody looks at Christianity like it's, it's just this spiritual thing we do on Sunday. It's somehow unique from the other six days of the week. That's why we're ordinary faith. We think faith is for seven days a week. Amen. Day one, Sunday, the Lord's Day, the day he rose from the dead, that's the day we get to celebrate what he's done in the past week. 
celebrate what he wants to do in the next week and hear his voice, okay? This is just like the huddle. You hear me? This is the huddle. We're in the huddle, and we're listening to the Holy Spirit call the plays. I am not the quarterback. I am the water boy. <laughs> I, know, I know some of you just pulled an Adam Sandler picture up. That's good. Just keep that. That's probably accurate. So we're good. So we're in the huddle today, and we encourage each other, fire each other up, get excited about the opportunity to be Jesus in every system we're involved in. And everyone in this room is involved in systems, in governmental-style systems. It's not just the politics of Rock Springs. Some of you work in the hospital. Some of you work out in the oil field. Some of you work in business and corporations. Those are all governmental systems. And you have power to impress those systems, okay? We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. We need to realize that we are citizens of a new kingdom. So we need to awaken to that realization. Yes, I'm an American. Second. I know, that's a hard pill to swallow. This is why the Christians were persecuted in Rome. They were supposed to say Caesar is Lord. They did not. They said Jesus is Lord, and that's what sent them to the Colosseum. Just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said, no, it doesn't matter what you do, here's what we're not doing. That, we're not doing that, okay? So, we're citizens of a new kingdom. You think about these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were awesome citizens of Babylon, though. They were good citizens. They, they weren't just citizens of Babylon. They later became citizens of Persia when the Babylonian Empire fell. And through that series, they did everything they could to make Babylon and Persia a better and a safe place for their countrymen to live in, the Israelites. And so they worked very hard in that system. They, they didn't just mind their own business. They served. They excelled as leaders. They, they excelled as citizens. They weren't just law-abiding citizens. But... They were good citizens, but that was only because first, first, they were God followers. They were God followers. They, they weren't just uh, Babylonian exiles who went to synagogue. They were followers of Yahweh living in Babylon, trying to make it the best place they could for their their descendants, their people, their nation. And so as God followers, so we need to think of ourselves that way. Am I a God follower with an American flavor? Or am I just an American that goes to church? There's plenty of those. Don't be one. You say, well, I, that's what I want to be. No, you don't. That is powerless. That makes you a slave to that system, that American system. As you get older... And maybe it's already passed. The millennials have a different take on things. But I grew up with the American dream concept. But as you get older, you realize it's not a dream. It's a nightmare. It does not turn out like they say. I was talking to my dad this morning, and he's, um, he's, talk, he's, he's in retirement now. He's, he turned 70 this year. And uh, he thinks he's dead. He just thinks, he's like every day, he's like, I just wish the Lord would take me home. I'm like, Dad, you're only 70. I got a friend who's 70 and he hits a golf ball farther than I do. What's, come on, Dad. But you haven't seen me golf. I mean, pfft. Adam Sandler. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> I don't know how this is happening. It's not spiritual at all. But anyway, so he says, no, I, I got to go to the doctor this week. Well, I said, Dad, you went to the doctor last week. He said, well, that's retirement. I said, that is a raw deal. You give 40, 50 years of your, your health to 
to, he worked for city government, to them, and then you spend your last two or three decades going to the doctor? That stinks. I, I don't want that deal. That's not the American dream uh, to me. And so we don't want anything to do that. So let's, what should we be doing? So 1 Peter 4.15, let me jump back into a scripture. If you suffer, however, it must, be, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. Uh, Paul didn't go to jail for any of that stuff, okay? Verse 16, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Amen. We're here to stand up for Jesus. We, this is, the next life is going to be awesome. It's going to be cool. But this is the only life that you get to represent Jesus. The next one, he'll, be, he'll just be there. But this one I get to represent. And we have to keep that in mind. We have to need a passion for Jesus Christ, we need a passion that people get to know him, that his love captures the world. Our passion cannot be about fixing all that's wrong with the world. Jesus can fix what's wrong. We can overcome evil with good, and Jesus is the good shepherd. So we, we need that passion for Christ. So back to our guys. Three guys. King, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what we're not going to do. You make the call. Made the call into the furnace. The king looks. Hey, look. Uh, didn't we tie up some guys really tight and sweaters and stuff and throw them in a furnace? And there were three, right? I, I, I'm not losing my mind. There were three. I mean, it was a heck of a party, but I think I saw three. And the yes man. Ooh, 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 ooh. Poor Shaq. You guys remember? Never mind. That's Ooh, ooh, there were three. I see four. And the fourth is like the son of God is what one translation says. Here's the question. Here's the question. Here's the question. It's a really good question. Write it down. Type in your phone. Did Jesus show up because three of his servants got thrown in the fire? Or did the fire just reveal that Jesus was there the whole time? Good stuff, huh? So, we can, st we can have a passion for Christ. Dan Moeller and Todd White both say this. They say, if you're on fire, when you enter the fire, nothing changes. I like that. So, they were good citizens. They were God followers. And on the day when Nebuchadnezzar meant for them to die, they just took a walk with Jesus. That's all that happened because of their faith in God. So what do we do with this? So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Well, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read several verses. So you can do this. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and for foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. And then if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you, for you are free. Yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. We are citizens of a new kingdom, and in that kingdom we are actually accountable 
to God. We live a different way. It doesn't matter, to some degrees it doesn't matter, what the civil or federal laws are, because we live by a higher law. So as citizens of the new kingdom, we always have to remember that we live by laws of the new kingdom. We are not from here. You hear me? We are not from here. I know you're thinking, well, no, I'm from Rock Springs. Well, I'm from Union City, Tennessee. You don't know where that is. It's a little hole-in-the-wall town. Um, but I, that when the day that I met Jesus Christ, my birthright changed. I got a new birth certificate written down in heaven. Got in a book, Michael Maynard, born again, also in Union City, Tennessee, and uh, which so it hasn't been too bad to me. A new birthright, but that new birthright is in heaven. What are some of the laws of the new heaven? Well, you can you can read the Gospels. Just read the Gospels. You'll find all kinds of great things Jesus says about what the kingdom is. But simply, we could just say it's love. You and I, God has us running on an op- on on a, um, 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 uh, an operative of love. We're here to love the world, to love other people to connect those people with God so that's that's one of the laws we live by the law of love we live by the law of faith 18 times Jesus said according to your faith be it unto you 18 times he said that so we live according to faith that we we walk on water maybe you'll try it this summer that'll be cool um we get to hang out in heaven. They're just things that we do. So we, we live by love, we, we live by faith, and we live for right. It's okay that what's wrong in the world upsets you. It's not okay to try and overcome that wrong with anything other than overcoming it with good. And that's what we need to realize. We have a, a higher thing. But we're not from here. We're not staying here. We're not. Several years ago, our kids, our older kids now that are grown, were little, and we went on a camping trip with our little kids, which is a horrible idea. <laughs> and we got tents, and, and we went camping, and this is in the, the south, and uh, there are mosquitoes down there as big as your little chihuahua, <laughs> and just as yappy. But So we went on a camping trip. We was spo- I can't remember how long it was supposed to be. All I know is it ended early. Because it was raining, the mosquitoes were still out. Did you know mosquitoes can still bite you in the rain? Oh, yeah. They are fearless down there. Anyway, so, miserable thing. I was so happy to get home, you know. So, this life you're living, it's a bad camping trip. It's just a bad camping trip. Mosquitoes, bears in the woods, whatever. Weird sounds, stuff that freaks you out. Bad camping trip. You're not staying here. The Bible tells us, that Paul tells us that there, the, we have a place going uh, that is, is better than anything we could ever imagine. Hebrews 13, 4 says, this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. So keep that in mind as you live this life. As you figure out how you fit into this system, you've got to realize you are a foreigner here from heaven. But your citizenship is at home. So we need to live by the laws of the new kingdom. And then we need to live by the power of the new kingdom. Christians sitting around griping about how bad things are is not actually that effective. It's not really changing the world. It's not, making, it's not reaching the lost even. It's not even advancing our cause, much less improving the society in which we live in. We need to, we need to get a first century look at ourselves again. 
Um, I was listening to a sermon yesterday by a guy named Chad Norris, and he's, it, it blew my mind. He said, for, for 250 years, the church just tore up hell, just grew, changed the world. He said, one day Satan woke up and realized I can't beat it, so I'll join it. And at, at the 300-year mark, the church moved from the outsiders and the fringe to the center of society, became part of popular culture, and then we had the Dark Ages. <laughs> because Satan figured out how to join the church and how to get us griping instead of believing. Getting us acting like the nation of Israel instead of followers of the way in Acts. But guess what? God's changing things. God is waking up a generation. They're in the kids' church right now. Some of them are in this room. Some of you are right now at a place you haven't entered into faith yet, and you haven't been messed up by bad theology yet. I'll try not to mess you up. But there's a generation that God's bringing on this planet that's going to be fearless. Going to throw rocks at giants and take them down. That's going to see acts happen again. I, I, that may make you nervous. You, sh you should get used to, to Christianity. Because if your faith doesn't make you nervous, you're not doing it right. And so we need to realize that as Christians, we have a lot more power than we realize. To, we don't have to sit around grumbling, we can make changes. There's this passage, this has been, uh, this early each year I try and find verses to kind of guide the year, and this is a couple that God gave me early this year, there's a few others. But this is 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Paul writes, we keep praying for you, we keep on praying for you, asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Think about that. Peter on that boat, we talk about that story all the time, Jesus walking on the water. Peter tests Jesus in the weirdest way. If you're really Jesus, let me walk out to you. Jesus says, bring it on. That's what it says in the Greek. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that in the Greek. Faith prompted Peter to ask the question. Faith prompted Peter to set his foot on the water. That's how you need to look at this verse. To do everything, the power to do everything your faith prompts you to do. I tell you what, there's a generation that God's raising up right now that's going to be, they're going to get a lot of crazy ideas for God and they're going to act on them and God's going to do a lot of crazy things. And I hope that makes you a little bit uncomfortable and a whole lot excited. Verse 12. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you'll be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ. What a powerful scripture. This has been my verses for the year. To look at and remind me to take those steps of faith. Because do you know what this is really all about? It's really all about walking around in that furnace with the Son of God. It's really about taking a walk with Jesus. That's what every day of a Christian's life is. It's just taking a walk with Jesus. Jesus is a little bit unpredictable. He, he's always calm. He's always chill. But at the same time, he's always really motivated. 
Well, I was talking to someone before church about that. How is Jesus so excited and so calm? I can't do that. I'm like one or the other. Or, or sad or mad or hungry or hangry. Every day is a walk with Jesus. And what if out of this room, this room is a lot of leaders in this room. Lead places in church, lead places in government, lead places in business, lead places in volunteer organizations. There's a lot of leaders in this room. What if you walked into those entities, not leaving Sunday here, but walking in with Jesus? What could Jesus do in your business, in your school? What could happen if I walk with Jesus? Well, there are probably going to be some fires, but it's no big deal. We mean it's no big deal. Because when I walk with Jesus and nobody can see him, when I'm in the fire, everybody can see him. Does that make sense? Did that sink in? And so we need to walk with Jesus. That's all this Christian life is. It's walking with Jesus. There used to be this thinking, I grew up with this kind of thinking, that life was the secular and the sacred. I've since learned many times over God makes no distinction. There's just life. There's life in the Spirit. There's life walking with Him. There's life walking with Jesus. Whether you're at home or whether you're at work or whether you're at worship, same God, it's all one thing. It's all very holistic and drips in and out of each other. So let's stop separating that. Let's get back into ordinary faith. You go to work tomorrow, do it with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Your boss gets mad, he gets mad anyway. Do it with Jesus, right? Did your boss get upset? When I was a boss, I got upset all the time. I don't know why half the time. I didn't know I was an angry person until I started working with stupid people. But anyway. <laughs> oh, no, that, that wasn't supposed to come out. I'm sorry. That's what you think when you're mad, you know. Walk with Jesus. See your faith as a fight. Not fighting to believe. That's what a lot of you think. You're, you're, you think you're fighting to believe or fighting not to sin. That is not the fight. You're fighting to give access to Jesus. You're fighting to represent Jesus. You start aiming for that good, you will overcome more evil than you ever could on your best day fighting evil. Start making Jesus that center focus of your life. Your life's going to change. Yeah, it's going to create some problems. Hallelujah. I get to represent. I'm going to tell you what. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, we don't get this from the story, but let's just think about it for a second. Think of them before the fire. King, we appreciate it. Not doing what you say. You got to barbecue us. Do it. Think of them after the fire. Woo! <laughs> Who's in charge now? <laughs> See? You can't have victories if you're not willing to step into the furnace. But in the furnace, man, Jesus is seen. And that's, it's, that's what your family needs to see. That's what your boss needs to see. That's what your coworkers need to see. They need to see you in the flame because then they see who Jesus is in you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, it's a good word. Uh, thanks for breaking the slides or letting the enemy do it, whatever. You turned everything out for good, however that went down. But Lord, oh, if... I wish I could just release warriors out of this place. That our community, Rock Springs, our county, 
would spiritually just be a bastion of light for Jesus. That's real one, one that loves people, one that makes a difference and changes things. And I know that in this room are just a bunch of champions waiting for someone to raise up a giant. So, Lord, here we are. Some of us right now are just opening our heart and say, whatever, wherever, whenever, let's do this. Some are more cautious, Lord. They, they, wanna, they need more relationship with you, tightness with you. Some need more support. They need their family, their faith family around them to love the body of believers, as Paul said. So, Lord, we pray. That's what we pray. That spirit, we release the warrior spirit on this room. Citizens of a new kingdom, bringing that kingdom to earth. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. That's our job. So, Lord, I'm excited. I don't know what the next several years are going to hold specifically, but I love the sound of victory I hear in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you.